Chapter 19 of The Narrative of Sojourner Truth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simon Wainwright. The Narrative of Sojourner Truth by Olive Gilbert and Sojourner Truth. Chapter 19. Isabella's Religious Experience. We will now turn from the outward and temporal to the inward and spiritual life of our subject. It is ever both interesting and instructive to trace the exercises of a human mind through the trials and mysteries of life, and especially a naturally powerful mind, left as hers was almost entirely to its own workings, and the chance influences it met on its way, and especially to note its reception of that divine light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. We see, as knowledge dawns upon it, truth and error strangely commingled, here a bright spot illuminated by truth, and there one darkened and distorted by error, and the state of such a soul may be compared to a landscape at early dawn where the sun is seen superbly gilding some objects and causing others to send forth their lengthened distorted and sometimes hideous shadows her mother as we have already said talked to her of god from these conversations her incipient mind drew the conclusion that God was a great man, greatly superior to other men in power, and being located high in the sky, could see all that transpired on the earth. She believed he not only saw, but noted down all her actions in a great book even as her master kept a record of whatever he wished not to forget. But she had no idea that God knew a thought of hers till she had uttered it aloud. As we have before mentioned, she had ever been mindful of her mother's injunctions, spreading out in detail all her troubles before God, imploring and firmly trusting him to send her deliverance from them. Whilst yet a child, she listened to a story of a wounded soldier left alone in the trail of a flying army, helpless and starving, who hardened the very ground about him with kneeling in his supplications to God for relief until it arrived. From this narrative she was deeply impressed with the idea that if she also were to present her petitions under the open canopy of heaven, speaking very loud, she should the more readily be heard. Consequently, she sought a fitting spot for this, her rural sanctuary. The place she selected in which to offer up her daily origins was a small island in a small stream, covered with large willow shrubbery, beneath which the sheep had made their pleasant winding paths, 
and sheltering themselves from the scorching rays of a noontide sun luxuriated in the cool shadows of the graceful willows as they listened to the tiny falls of the silver waters it was a lonely spot and chosen by her for its beauty its retirement and because she thought that there in the noise of those waters she could speak louder to god without being overheard by any who might pass that way when she had made choice of her sanctum at a point of the island where the stream met after having been separated she improved it by pulling away the branches of the shrubs from the centre and weaving them together for a wall on the outside forming a circular arched alcove made entirely of the graceful willow to this place she resorted daily and in pressing times much more frequently at this time her prayers or more appropriately talks with god were perfectly original and unique and would be well worth preserving were it possible to give the tones and manners with the words but no adequate idea of them can be written while the tones and manner remain inexpressible she would sometimes repeat our father in heaven in her low dutch as taught her by her mother after that all was from the suggestions of her own rude mind she related to god in minute detail all her troubles and sufferings inquiring as she proceeded do you think that's right god and closed by begging to be delivered from the evil whatever it might be she talked to god as familiarly as if he had been a creature like herself and a thousand times more so than if she had been in the presence of some earthly potentate she demanded with little expenditure of reverence or fear a supply of all her more pressing wants and at times her demands approached very near to commands she felt as if god was under obligation to her much more than she was to him he seemed to her benighted vision in some manner bound to do her bidding her heart recoils now with very dread when she recalls those shocking almost blasphemous conversations with great jehovah and well for herself did she deem it that unlike earthly potentates her infinite character combined the tender father with the omniscient and omnipotent creator of the universe she at first commenced promising god that if he would help her out of all her difficulties she would pay him by being very good and this goodness she intended as a remuneration to god she could think of no benefit that was to accrue to herself or her fellow-creatures from her leading a life of purity and generous self-sacrifice for the good of others as far as any but god was concerned she saw nothing in it but heart-trying penance sustained by the sternest exertion 
and this she soon found much more easily promised than performed days wore away new trials came god's aid was invoked and the same promises repeated and every successive night found her part of the contract unfulfilled she now began to excuse herself by telling god she could not be good in her present circumstances but if he would give her a new place and a good master and mistress she could and would be good and she expressly stipulated that she would be good one day to show god how good she would be all of the time when he should surround her with the right influences and she should be delivered from the temptations that then so sorely beset her but alas when night came and she became conscious that she had yielded to all her temptations and entirely failed of keeping her word with god having prayed and promised one hour and fallen into the sins of anger and profanity the next mortifying reflection weighed on her mind and blunted her enjoyment still she did not lay it deeply to heart but continued to repeat her demands for aid and her promises of pay with full purpose of heart at each particular time that that day would not fail to keep her plighted word thus perished the inward spark like a flame just igniting when one waits to see whether it will burn on or die out till the long-desired change came and she found herself in a new place with a new mistress and one who never instigated an otherwise kind master to be unkind to her in short a place where she had literally nothing to complain of and where for a time she was more happy than she could well express oh everything there was so pleasant and kind and good and so comfortable enough of everything indeed it was beautiful she exclaimed here at mr van wagener's as the reader will readily perceive she must have been she was so happy and satisfied that god was entirely forgotten why should her thoughts turn to him who was only known to her as a help in trouble she had no trouble now her every prayer had been answered in every minute particular she had been delivered from her persecutors and temptations her youngest child had been given her and the others she knew she had no means of sustaining if she had them with her and was content to leave them behind their father was much older than isabel and who preferred serving his time out in slavery to the trouble and dangers of the course she pursued remained with and could keep an eye on them though it is comparatively little that they can do for each other while they remain in slavery and this little the slave like persons in every other situation of life is not always disposed to perform there are slaves who copying the selfishness of their superiors in power 
in their conduct toward their fellows who may be thrown upon their mercy by infirmity or illness allow them to suffer for want of that kindness and care which it is fully in their power to render them the slaves in this country have ever been allowed to celebrate the principal if not some of the lesser festivals observed by the catholics and the church of england many of them not being required to do the least service for several days and at christmas they have almost universally entire week to themselves except perhaps the attending to a few duties which are absolutely required for the comfort of the families they belong to if much service is desired they are hired to do it and paid for it as if they were free the more sober portion of them spend these holidays in earning a little money most of them visit and attend parties and balls and not a few of them spend it in the lowest dissipation this respite from toil is granted them for all religionists of whatever persuasion and probably originated from the fact that many of the first slaveholders were members of the church of england frederick douglas who has devoted his great heart and noble talents entirely to the furtherance of the cause of his downtrodden race has said from what i know of the effect of their holidays upon the slave i believe them to be among the most effective means in the hands of the slaveholder in keeping down the spirit of insurrection were the slaveholders at once to abandon this practice i have not the slightest doubt it would lead to an immediate insurrection among the slaves these holidays serve as conductors of safety valves to carry off the rebellious spirit of enslaved humanity but for these the slave would be forced up to the wildest desperation and woe betide the slaveholder the day he ventures to remove or hinder the operation of those conductors i warn him that in such an event a spirit will go forth in their midst more to be dreaded than the most appalling earthquake when isabella had been at mr van wagener's a few months she saw in prospect one of the festivals approaching she knows it by none but the dutch name painster as she calls it but i think it must have been whitsuntide in english she says she looked back into egypt and everything looked so pleasant there as she saw retrospectively all her former companions enjoying their freedom for at least a little space as well as their wanted convivialities and in her heart she longed to be with them with this picture before her mind's eye she contrasted the quiet peaceful life she was living with the excellent people of wakendal and it seemed so dull and void of incident that the very contrast served but to heighten her desire to return that at least she might enjoy with them once more 
the coming festivities. These feelings had occupied a secret corner of her breast for some time, when one morning she told Mrs. Van Wagener that her old master, Dumont, would come that day, and that she should go home with him on his return. They expressed some surprise, and asked her where she obtained her information. She replied that no one had told her, but she felt that it would come. It seemed to have been one of those events that cast their shadows before, for before night Mr. Dumont made his appearance. She informed him of her intention to accompany him home. He answered with a smile, I shall not take you back again. You ran away from me. Thinking his manner contradicted his words, she did not feel repulsed, but made herself and child ready and when her former master had seated himself in the open Dearborn, she walked towards it, intending to place herself and child in the rear and go with him. But ere she reached the vehicle, she says that God revealed himself to her with all the suddenness of a flash of lightning, showing her in the twinkling of an eye that he was in all over, that he pervaded the universe and that there was no place where God was not. She became instantly conscious of her great sin in forgetting her almighty friend and ever-present help in time of trouble. All her unfulfilled promises arose before her like a vexed sea whose waves run mountains high, and her soul, which seemed but one mass of lies, shrunk back aghast from the awful look of him whom she had formerly talked to as if he had been a being like herself and she would now fain have hid herself in the bowels of the earth to have escaped his dread presence but she plainly saw there was no place not even in hell where he was not and where could she flee another such a look as she expressed it and she felt that she must be extinguished forever even as one with the breath of his mouth blows out a lamp so that no spark remains a dire dread of annihilation now seized her and she waited to see if by another look she was to be stricken from existence swallowed up even as the fire licked up the oil with which it comes in contact when at last the second look came not and her attention was once more called to outward things she observed her master had left and exclaiming aloud o oh god i did not know you were so big walked into the house and made an effort to resume her work but the workings of the inward man were too absorbing to admit of such attention to her avocations. She desired to talk to God, but her vileness utterly forbade it, and she was not able to prefer a petition. What? She said, shall I lie again to God? 
I have told him nothing but lies, and shall I speak again and tell another lie to God? She could not, and now she began to wish for someone to speak to God for her. Then a space seemed opening between her and God, and she felt that if someone who was worthy in the sight of heaven would but plead for her in their own name and not let God know it came from her who was so unworthy, God might grant it. At length a friend appeared to stand between herself and an insulted deity, and she felt as sensibly refreshed as when on a hot day an umbrella had been interposed between her scorching head and a burning sun. But who was this friend? Became the next inquiry. Was it Denicia? Who had so often befriended her? She looked at her with her new power of sight, and lo, she too seemed all bruises and putrefying sores like herself. No, it was someone very different from Denicia. Who are you? she exclaimed, as the vision brightened into a form distinct, beaming with the beauty of holiness and radiant with love. She then said audibly, addressing the mysterious visitant, I know you, and I don't know you, meaning you seem perfectly familiar. I feel that you not only love me, but that you always have loved me, yet I know you not. I cannot call you by name. When she said, I know you, the subject of the vision remained distinct and quiet. When she said, I don't know you, it moved restlessly about like agitated waters. So while she repeated without intermission, I know you, I know you, that the vision might remain, who are you, was the cry of her heart, and her whole soul was in one deep prayer that this heavenly personage might be revealed to her and remain with her. At length, after bending both soul and body with the intensity of this desire, till breath and strength seemed failing, and she could maintain her position no longer. An answer came to her, saying distinctly, It is Jesus. Yes, she responded, It is Jesus. Previously to these exercises of mine, she heard Jesus mentioned in readings or speaking, but had received from what she heard no impression that he was any other than an eminent man, like a Washington or Lafayette. Now he appeared to her delighted mental vision as so mild, so good, and so every way lovely. And he loved her so much. And how strange that he had always loved her, and she had never known it. And how great a blessing he conferred in that he should stand between her and God. And God was no longer a terror and a dread to her. She stopped, not to argue the point even in her own mind, whether he had reconciled her to God or God to herself, 
though she thinks the former now being but too happy that god was no longer to her as a consuming fire and jesus was altogether lovely her heart was now full of joy and gladness as it had been of terror and at one time of despair in the light of her great happiness the world was clad in new beauty the very air sparkled as with diamonds and was redolent of heaven she contemplated the unapproachable barriers that existed between herself and the great of this world as the world calls greatness and made surprising comparisons between them and the union existing between herself and jesus jesus the transcendently lovely as well as great and powerful for so he appeared to her though he seemed but human and she watched for his bodily appearance feeling that she should know him if she saw him and when he came she would go and dwell with him as with a dear friend it was not given to her to see that he loved any other and she thought if others came to know and love him as she did she should be thrust aside and forgotten being herself but a poor ignorant slave with little to recommend her to his notice and when she heard him spoken of she said mentally what others know jesus i thought no one knew jesus but me and she felt a sort of jealousy lest she should be robbed of her newly found treasure she conceived one day as she listened to reading that she heard in intimation that jesus was married and hastily inquired if jesus had a wife what said the reader god have a wife is jesus god inquired isabella yes to be sure he is was the answer returned from this time her conceptions of jesus became more elevated and spiritual and she sometimes spoke of him as god in accordance with the teaching she had received but when she was simply told that the christian world was much divided on the subject of christ's nature some believing him to be co-equal with the father to be god in and of himself very god of very god some that he is the well-beloved only begotten son of god and others that he is or was rather but a mere man she said of that i only know as i saw i did not see him to be god else how could he stand between me and god i saw him as a friend standing between me and god through whom love flowed as from a fountain now so far from expressing her views of christ's character and office in accordance with any system of theology extent she says she believes jesus is the same spirit that was in our first parents 
Adam and Eve in the beginning, when they came from the hand of their Creator, when they sinned through disobedience, this pure spirit forsook them and fled to heaven. That there it remained until it returned again in the person of Jesus, and that previous to a personal union with him, man is but a brute, possessing only the spirit of an animal. She avers that in her darkest hours she had no fear of any worse hell than the one she had carried in her bosom, though it had ever been pictured to her in its deepest colors and threatened her as a reward for all her misdemeanors, her vileness and God's holiness and all-pervading presence which filled immensity and threatened her with constant annihilation, composed the burden of her vision of terror. Her faith in prayer is equal to her faith in the love of Jesus. Her language is, let others say what they will of the efficacy of prayer. I believe in it, and I shall pray. Thank God, yes, I shall always pray. She exclaims, putting her hands together with the greatest enthusiasm. For some time subsequent to the happy change we have spoken of, Isabella's prayers partook largely of their former character, and while in deep affliction she labored for the recovery of her son, she prayed with constancy and fervor, and the following may be taken as a specimen. O oh God, you know how much I am distressed, for I have told you again and again. Now, God, help me get my son. If you were in trouble as I am, and I could help you as you can help me, think I wouldn't do it? Yes, God, you know I would do it. O oh God, you know I have no money, but you can make the people do for me, and you must make the people do for me. I will never give you peace until you do. God, oh God, make the people hear me. Don't let them turn me off without hearing and helping me. And she has not a particular of doubt that God heard her and especially disposed the hearts of thoughtless clerks, eminent lawyers, and grave judges, and others between whom and herself there seemed to her almost an infinite remove to listen to her suit with patience and respectful attention, backing it up with all needed aid. The sense of her nothingness in the eyes of those with whom she contended for her rights sometimes fell on her like a heavy weight, which nothing but her unwavering confidence in an arm which she believed to be stronger than all others combined could have raised from her sinking spirit. Oh, how little did I feel, she repeated with a powerful emphasis. Neither would you wonder if you could have seen me in my ignorance and destitution, trotting about the streets, meanly clad, bareheaded and barefooted. Oh, God, only 
could have made such people hear me and he did it in answer to my prayers and this perfect trust based on the rock of deity was a soul-protecting fortress which raising her above the battlements of fear and shielding her from the machinations of the enemy impelled her onward in the struggle till the foe was vanquished and the victory gained we have now seen isabella her youngest daughter and her only son in possession of at least their nominal freedom it has been said that the freedom of the most free of the colored people of this country is but nominal but stinted and limited as it is at best it is an immense remove from chattel slavery this fact is disputed i know but i have no confidence in the honesty of such questionings if they are made in sincerity i honor not the judgment that thus decides her husband quite advanced in age and infirm of health was emancipated with the balance of the adult slaves of the state according to law the following summer july fourth eighteen twenty eight for a few years after this event he was able to earn a scanty living and when he failed to do that he was dependent on the world's cold charity and died in a poorhouse isabella and herself and two children to provide for her wages were trifling for at that time the wages of females were at a small advance from nothing and she doubtless had to learn the first elements of economy for what slaves that were never allowed to make any stipulations or calculations for themselves ever possessed an adequate idea of the true value of time or in fact of any material thing in the universe to such prudent using is meanness and saving in a word to be sneered at of course it was not in her power to make to herself a home around whose sacred hearth stone she could collect her family as they gradually emerged from their prison house of bondage a home where she could cultivate their affection administer to their wants and instill into the opening minds of her children those principles of virtue and that love of purity truth and benevolence which must for ever form the foundation of a life of usefulness and happiness no all this was far beyond her power or means in more senses than one and it should be taken into account whenever a comparison is instituted between the progress made by her children in virtue and where good influences cluster and bad ones are carefully excluded where line upon line and precept upon precept are daily brought to their quotidian tasks and where in short every appliance is brought in requisition that self-denying parents can bring to bear on one of the dearest objects of a parent's life the promotion of the welfare of their children but god forbid 
that this suggestion should be wrested from its original intent and made to shield any one from merited rebuke isabella's children are now of an age to know good from evil and may easily inform themselves on any point where they may yet be in doubt and if they now suffer themselves to be drawn by temptation into the paths of the destroyer or forget what is due to the mother who has done and suffered so much for them and who now that she is descending into the vale of years and feels her health and strength declining will turn her expecting eyes to them for aid and comfort just as instinctively as the child turns its confiding eye to its fond parent when it seeks for succor or sympathy for it is now their turn to do the work and bear the burdens of life so all must bear them in turn as the wheel of life rolls on if i say they forget this their duty and their happiness and pursue an opposite course of sin and folly they must lose the respect of the wise and good and find when too late that the way of the transgressor is hard end of chapter nineteen recording by simon wainwright